on? Can you guys hear me? All right, great. Well, um, I have absolutely loved being here with you. Um, yesterday, I led a marriage conference with, I guess we had about 45 of us that were here, something like that. And it was so fun, and it was just a fun time to be here with your church. As a matter of fact, I, I, I began to think about the fact that I would love to join this church, but I have a problem. And it's not for the fact that I live in Mississippi. It's the fact I don't know how to say New York. I can't, I don't know how to say it. I've, I've tried. It just doesn't come out right. Now, you're going to have to get used to my southern side, I know. Um, I didn't grow up in the south, though. I grew up in Kansas City, Missouri. I grew up in the Midwest. But we moved to Atlanta, my family, we moved to Atlanta, Georgia, when I was a senior in high school. And outside of five years living in Oklahoma, I've pretty much been in the south. I just tell you how funny God is. So I, I thought, you know, when we when I moved to Alabama, I thought, okay, that's about as bad as it can get. And then I said, Lord, please, just one thing, don't move me to Mississippi. I literally said that. And I've been in Mississippi now for over 15 years and actually have had the best time. They are the most wonderful people. And actually, here's what I found. I've lived in eight states in my life. And I just found that, you know what, there are wonderful people pretty much everywhere, just like there are jerks pretty much everywhere, you know. And so it's just according to who you see. And I've had the best time being here with your church. You have such an amazing church. I think you know that, right? You know that you have an amazing church? I've been in a lot of churches, okay? I have. I've been in a lot of different churches. My dad was a pastor, so I grew up in churches. And let me just tell you, there's not a lot of them like New Hope. They're just not where you are so welcoming and so friendly and so just so accepting. And so it's just a joy to be here with you, and I've just had a great time. Let me lead us in a word of prayer, because I believe that God has something He wants to say to some of us tonight. So, Father, I just pray right now that we would all just open our hearts. Let me say as you're there praying, the Bible says this, He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit would say to the church. Would you just say to the Lord, just tell him you send him just there to yourself. Just say, Lord, would you speak to me today? So, Father, I know that you put some a word on my heart, but Lord, I also know that um, unless you speak, I'm just a guy from another place giving another message. And Lord, that's not what we need tonight. We need a word from you. So I ask you, Holy Spirit, to just guide us. Even if you want to veer from where we've, where I feel like you've led me to this point, I'm good with that. Would you just lead us? And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, amen. Well, listen, tonight, um, I have just been praying through where God wanted me to go and where he wanted me to lead. And I want to encourage you, okay? I want tonight to be a night where just the Spirit of God encourages us. And so I've titled my message, Never Give Up, and we're going to be looking at a verse of Scripture that actually, um, for some of us that are here, that if you're a Christian, have you ever had times that um, you're reading the Bible, and all of a sudden it's like God put a new verse in there? Have you ever had that happen where you didn't realize, and all of a sudden it's just like it just talks to you? Remember that? Man, and so that, this verse was one of those for me a few years ago in a very uh, dark and very discouraging moment in my life. And God gave me this word, and it so spoke to me that I want to share with you, just kind of out of the overflow of what God has taught me, 
about how to live a life where we never give up. And so as I go to that, let me just kind of give you some things to think about. Really, the first thing is that I want you to know that um, the number one tactic of Satan, his number one tactic against the church and against believers is for you to give up. That's what he wants to do. He's not really trying to get us to step into some evil things. He ultimately wants to get us there, but his main goal is to, to, to get us to the place where we would quit. Not quit going to church so much as we would quit walking with Jesus. And so I want you to know that that's his tactic. That's what he wants to do. As a matter of fact, Jesus talked about this in John chapter 10, verse 10. He said, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. And then Jesus said, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. He said, the thief has come to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus said, I want you to have an abundant life, an overflowing life, a life of joy, a life that matters. But the enemy wants to do everything he can to get us to give up. Whenever you think about that, and you think about what he says there, he says, to steal, to kill, and destroy. What does he mean by that? Well, to steal, he wants to steal your joy. And he wants to steal your life, and he wants to steal the blessings that God wants to pour into our life. Did you know that God wants to bless you? That's the God of the Bible. He wants to unleash the blessings of his kingdom. And just like any loving parent wants to give their children the blessings that we want to give them, think about our loving Father, how much he wants to bless your life. That's the God of the Bible. But know that the enemy wants to steal those things from us. Not only does he say he wants to steal, but he wants to kill. What does he want to kill? He wants to kill your hopes and dreams, and he wants to kill that drive that the Holy Spirit's put in you to fulfill a destiny that God has for you, a life of blessing. And man, the enemy wants to kill that. He wants to take that out of us. And then finally, he says he wants to kill and to steal, and he wants to destroy. Satan is going to work overtime to ruin everything pertaining to your life. He wants to ruin your marriage. He wants to ruin your children, your work, your health. He wants to destroy us. That's his goal. And, and let me just say it this way, okay? I had to learn this. This was something that, was, that I didn't know. You see, I thought, I thought when I got saved, I, I grew up in church, but I didn't get saved until I was 22. And I thought that when I got saved, you know, and this is the best way I know to say it, I, I kind of felt like I'd, I'd gotten on the love boat. But what I found out is I actually got on a battleship because we're in a war, not against each other. The Bible is very clear. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, let me just say this real quick, because being in America, I know that we're all in America, and most of us in here, I guess, grew up. Did you grow up in America? Did most of you grow up in America? Anybody that didn't grow up in America? Didn't? Okay. What country did you grow up in? Where? I'm sorry. Trinidad. Okay. That may not be as much there. I go and I teach every year. I go to either India or Africa every year, and I teach house church pastors. They're basically farmers. that God has called to pastor a house church, and I teach them basic things. And one of the things I teach whenever I go is I teach spiritual warfare. And in teaching that, it's kind of interesting to me. So when I go to India or Africa, because of their culture, they're very well aware of the spirit world. And so whenever I teach on spiritual warfare, they're well aware 
that there are spirits, evil spirits, wanting to kill, steal, and destroy. In America, I have to convince Americans because we live in a, in a materialistic culture that you and I have been, have been progressively and aggressively trained that if you can't feel it, taste it, touch it, you know, all those things, hear it, smell it, it doesn't exist. But the Bible teaches otherwise. The Bible says that the whole world is under the power of the evil one. And so we need to know that we have an enemy wanting to kill, steal, and destroy. And I'm telling you, whenever I learned that, I began to learn that that, that was a game changer for me. Now, here's the great thing. Christ has won the victory. So we don't, as Christians, we don't fight, as I say, we don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. The victory's been won. We just declare the victory against the enemy when he tries to steal and kill and destroy. We can walk in the victory of Christ. We can live in that. But here's what happens. He wants to get us to give up. So don't give up and don't give in. Don't quit. Don't throw away what God wants to do in your life. And so I'm telling you all that primarily out of personal experience, okay? Um, I, I have a, my undergraduate degree was in math and computer science. And um, so I was, a, I was an analytical kind of guy. I worked, at, uh, I worked in a couple of businesses, and I worked at two different universities over all their IT departments in two different universities. And so I did all that, and then when I was 33, God called me full-time into ministry. And, um, and so I say all that to say I, I, I didn't, like, have one of these that I wanted to be in the ministry when I was a kid and all that kind of stuff. In fact, I wanted to go the other way because my dad was, is a, was a pastor, and I saw that life, and I'm like, mm, I don't want that. And so it was kind of difficult for me to get in. But also, because of my personality, I'm not that, um, I don't know how to say it, I'm, I'm more of an introvert. You know, I'm more of an analytical person. I'm more of that kind of guy. And so I was like, oh, I'll never forget this. And I really, I really said this. This really was the truth. He's heard me say it because it's the truth. Is that when God called me in the ministry, I literally said, that's a bad idea. I would mess up a church. And so the Lord had to transform me and had to work that. But just know that when I went into the ministry and so and started down that, that's been my battle is to just to that feeling that I'm going to mess this up. Well, at the church I'm pastoring now, I've been there, well, 11 and a half years, it'll be 12 years in March. But um, for my first six years, it was a battle. In the spirit realm, not with the people. They're wonderful people. But in the spirit realm, and here's what I mean, is people don't realize this, if you, that, that the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And so as a result, people not meaning to, but they'll get in the flesh, and they'll start becoming divisive. They'll start nitpicking silly things. And the next thing you know, they start breeding division. Well, I have them you know, in my church. And, and uh, long story short, I wanted to... In fact, I just said, Lord, this isn't, I'm, I'm not any good at this. I, I need to get out of this. And, and that was when the Lord just added Galatians 6, 9 into my Bible. And so I want us to read it, and I want to help you. Just what God had taught me about it. So let me just give it to you. It's Galatians 6, 9. It says this, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Now, I gave you guys, I think you have outlines. Is that right? Do you have an outline? I hope you take it. The reason I do this is because I found with me 
that I can, I can receive something immediate, but boy, sometimes I need to chew on some things. So I want to give you some things here. And so I have at the top, I have just kind of my main thought for, for today. And I want you to write this down. The impact of your life, the impact of your life stretches across boundaries, through generations, and into eternity. You may not, so I say that because we live in a culture that is very um, individualistic, very self-centered, and so we've allowed that to come into our Christianity. But the Bible is very clear that Christianity is about being a community, about being part of a body. It's about the fact that the Jesus in you wants out, and he wants to, to use you as a conduit of his grace to those around you. That's just who he is. That's what he wants to do. He wants us. He wants to flow his kingdom. In fact, Jesus in John 7 said that, he is, that the Holy Spirit in us is going to be like a river flowing through us. And that's what he wants to do. And so as a result, as we come to this, we're going to struggle at times, but we need to know that the impact of our life, it, it crosses over boundaries. In other words, it's boundless. It carries forward into generations. It's just amazing to me to think, and it's, it, it kind of overwhelms me to think, that my life now, when I'm dead and gone, the impact of my life will have affected not just my children and my grandchildren, but it will have affected others around me, their lives. My wife, I called her last night. She's back home. She couldn't come with me. We had a grandchild born, our fifth one, born on uh, October the 16th, and so we went up to Nashville because that's where they are in Nashville, Tennessee. So we went to see them, and she's a nurse practitioner, and so she said, I can't miss any more work. I just can't do it right now. And so she didn't get to come with me. She called me last night, and she told me about a couple that were in our church in South Haven, Mississippi when I was there, which was back in uh, 2004 to 2008. And they are now in doing uh, work, kind of mission work, in Alaska, in the middle of nowhere, Alaska. And... Um, and so she had sent him a Facebook message and just about, you know, tell me more about what you're doing. And her husband said, tell David that I have downloaded over 200 of his messages and I listen to his preaching every week to keep preaching the Bible. In other words, I'm saying that because I didn't know that I was still affecting somebody that now has moved to Alaska, but God did. And our lives have an effect and have an impact. All of us do. And so we need to know that. So how do, we, how do we never give up? And so let me just share some things with you that God taught me. And so the first thing, if you have an outline, I want to write it down, is he taught me this, first of all, is this passage tells us that we must refuse to be discouraged. You must refuse to be discouraged. In other words, a choice that we must make. Notice what he says here. He says, let us not grow weary of doing good. That phrase there, grow weary, here's what it means. It means to lose motivation to accomplish some valid goal, it means this, to become discouraged. You know, the word discouraged literally means without courage. To encourage means to fill with courage. And the enemy wants to take your courage away because, because we're in a spiritual battle. He knows when we don't have courage, we won't step into that battle. And so he wants us to come to that place. So don't grow weary of doing good. Now, this is obviously a common reality for all people. All believers have this struggle. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 13, it says this. He says, as for you, brothers, do not grow weary of doing good. That's the same phrase. In other words, there was another church that was having this same struggle. 
In fact, Jesus, he said this in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. He said to us, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. He says, look, I know you're struggling. Come to me, I'm the place you're going to find the rest. We live in a world that is discouraging, don't we? I don't know about you, but I've just gotten to the place I don't even want to turn the TV on anymore. I mean, it's like, golly, if I want to be discouraged, I just turn the TV on. And and it doesn't matter what you believe, it's just discouraging all over. We live in that kind of world. But the Bible tells us in this passage we have to refuse. That's a choice we have to make. We have to refuse to be discouraged. I say it that way because whenever the Lord brought that passage to me and spoke it to me, he reminded me of a story about my dad. I told you my dad was a pastor, and he's 83 years old right now. He's still going strong. He, He just came back about a month or so ago from another mission trip he was on. He went to uh, Las Vegas. They have a church plant that was out there in the Las Vegas area, and he was out there with that. And this summer he went and spent two weeks in Brazil on a mission trip, and he's just, anyway, he's just active. But as a pastor, I remember this a long time ago. I was, I was, my wife and I were visiting my mom and dad, and, and uh, we were at the house, and he had had a hard day. Some things had not gone good. And he came in the house, and you know how whenever you come in and you're just kind of like, and he walked in with that kind of thing. And I, I said, man, how's it going? He said, David, I want to tell you something. Every day, every day, things will happen and people will try to discourage you. And then he said this, but I refuse. And I mean, he said it like, I am not going to let it get me. He said, but I refuse to be discouraged. I say that to all of us because some of us here are discouraged. I know that. I struggle with it. We live in a discouraging world. And we have to make the choice. Let us not grow weary of doing good. So we have to, first of all, refuse to be discouraged. Second thing that I want us to see in this passage that that helped me. Not only do we need to refuse to be discouraged, but secondly, we need to reject paths that seem easier. Reject paths that seem easier. You know, it's easy to take the path of least resistance. But I've found that the path of least resistance always leads to nowhere. It always ends up the same place. But we need to, we need to reject the paths of least, least resistance. Look at how he says it here. He says, and let us not grow weary of doing good. Now, the doing good is something we need to look at. What does he mean by doing good? Being a nice guy? Well, No. And how do we know what he means? Well, we go back to the context in which he wrote it. The verse right before, the verse that precedes this passage is in Galatians chapter 6, verse 8. And look at what it says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 8. It says, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. The doing good refers back to sowing to the Spirit. And what does that mean? That means to live according to the Holy Spirit, the guidance of the Spirit, and not according to my own sinful nature. That's what that means. Now, how do we do that? Now, you, go, you know, if you've given your life to Jesus, the Bible says that you became a new creation, right? The old is gone, the new has come. But we also know that the Bible teaches us that the old 
person, the old self, the old sinful nature is still around. You know what I mean? He still hangs around. The old David is still here. I got saved when I was 22. I'm 60 years old now. And listen, this guy that was that he he I, he, I gave him up at 22, he still hangs around, and he still tries to tell me what to do. And the way I say it, I told our church this. I've said that, uh, that I'm telling you he is hell-bent because that's what he's full of. And, and I'll just say this real quick. I don't want to get off on this too much, but let me just say that Jesus didn't die on a cross to rehab your old nature. He died on a cross to give us a new life we became a new creation i tell our people we became a new species literally we've become that and so and so in this the doing good is walking according to the spirit and not according to the sinful nature right and how do we do that every day we make that choice let me give you a passage i want you just to write it down i'll just that i pray this every day it's ephesians chapter 4 verses 22 through 24 and it says this to put off the old self that means it's kind of like take off those old clothes of the old flesh. And the way I pray it is like this. I say, Lord, I want to put off the old David because I know that he's deceived and I know that he is deceptive. And then the next verse says, and may I be renewed in the spirit of my mind. In other words, Holy Spirit dwells here. I want you to renew my mind. And then it says, put on the new self. It's been created by God in true righteousness and holiness. So it's kind of like changing clothes. So every morning, it's kind of like, you know, when I get ready for work, I want to get ready, I get up in the morning, I want to take off the old David. I want to pray to be renewed in the spirit of mind. Lord, I pray that you'll just renew my mind. And I want to put on the new man that's been created by God. That's walking in the spirit rather than walking in the flesh. That's being guided by the Holy Spirit rather than being guided by my own old sinful nature. Let me ask you some questions, and, and there are three questions I want you to just kind of think about uh, this evening. As you think about your life, are you sowing to the flesh or are you sowing to the Spirit? In other words, are you walking according to the Holy Spirit best you know? Or have you kind of, discouragement's kind of got you to where you're just kind of going through the motions? Here's the question. What are you currently doing that you're wanting to walk away from? Maybe it's, you know, it's something that you know God wants you to do. He's put you there. He's got that in front of you, but you're just like, I just, I just want to walk away. Maybe it's a marriage. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's whatever. And you're, it, could be a, it could be a family. It could be anything that you're just sick of. You're tired of it. You know it's where God has put you, but you want to walk away. That would be one thing. second question is simply this. What work has God given you that you're pushing to the side and third is this, what tasks are you doing that seem menial and unimportant? Let me just say it this way, okay? For a believer, there's no task that's unimportant. And I just say it this way because I think in our culture today, a stay-at-home mom is really put down as not being important. And yet I believe it's one of the most valuable, valuable calls, even a mom. Now, my wife has worked our whole marriage. So I've got a working mom, which is even worse. So if you have any, if you're doing that, that's then boy, don't grow weary of doing good. God is using you with those kids. You're raising up. I, I told them downstairs. I said that my boys, when I have three sons, 
And uh, when they were little, I set them down and said, Now, boys, I don't want you to be good boys. They were like, you know, kind of like, oh, this is great. You know, where are we going with this? And then I said, I want you to be world changers. I want you to be men of God that rise up to change the world. And then we started planting them. My wife, she just plants into their, to them life when they were little kids, and God's using them now. But I, I'm just saying, no ja- and so, so I say all that because here's what the Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 10. It says this. It says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. In other words, step in with everything. Wherever you are, this is what I've had to learn. Wherever you are, be all there. Don't be half-hearted at it. Be all there, wherever God's put you. Well, first, in this passage, we need to refuse to be discouraged. Second, we need to reject the paths that seem easier. And then third, here's the thing. If you've kind of veered a little bit, third, we need to know this, and I just say it this way. You need to return to your mission. You need to return to your mission. The last part of this verse in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, it says this. For in due season we will reap, and then listen to what it says, if we do not give up. If we do not give up. That phrase, give up, there, here's what it literally means in, in the original language. It means, to give up means this, to lose heart, to quit, to give in to the pressure. You know I've met a lot of believers that come to church still every week, but they've given up. They're just going through the motions. They've compromised. Not evil. I'm not saying they're doing evil things. But you know the fire that you once had? You remember that whenever you first got saved? That fire? It's just kind of gotten a little cold. The embers aren't as hot as they used to be. That's what the enemy wants to do with all of us. And we all struggle there, okay? And we have to say, God, I'm choosing not to give up. I'm going to return to whatever it is, wherever, you, wherever God's put you, whatever He has you doing. Jump in with everything that's in you. Do it with all your heart. Step in to the mission God's giving you. You may think, well, it's not that big a deal. It's a big deal to God. I've learned that about God. I've learned that, that from the world standpoint and even from God's ultimate purposes over the universe, I'm not a big deal. I am a blip on the map. But I matter to God. My life matters to Him. I'm His son. And how I live my life matters to Him. You know, I've said for years, you know, as I got, I told you I got saved when I was 22, and I just jumped in with both feet. I didn't know what I was doing, but I jumped in with everything in me because I fell in love with the Jesus that I met. I had heard about him for years. I grew up in church, so I, I had the potential to be the perfect Pharisee. I mean, I was a religious guy. I knew, how to, I knew all the steps, you know what I mean? If you grew up in church, you know the steps. If you didn't grow up in the church, all of it's kind of new to you. Well, I was one of those guys that just kind of, I knew the certain things you did, and I knew if you did them, and, and, and yet... I didn't know Jesus. But I met him when I was 22. And he changed me. So radically changed me. I love hanging around him. And somebody asked me, 
uh, I've had the opportunity to disciple a lot of young men, and it's been fun because you, they wind up turning out like this guy here that just amazed me to watch how God's using them. And, um, and somebody asked me, well, what drives you? What drives you? Know, why do you, you just stay at it? And here's what it is. Here's what drives me. Is that I'm going to one day stand before my Creator. Face to face. I don't know how it's all going to work, but I'm going to stand before Him. And I want to hear one thing. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's what I want to hear. But I can tell you I have times that I grow weary. I have times I want to quit. I have times I want to give up. And God always says, get back to the mission, David. Get back to the mission. Stay on focus. Stay on point. The church I pastored before the one I'm at right now, I had a time that we were in a down kind of time. I don't know how to explain it. We just were. And it was, oh, man, I felt like I was just destroying the church and failing as a preacher. And, and the Lord, I don't know if you have him do this to you, but, but I was, I, I, so I was spending time with the Lord. I just didn't want to talk about that. Do you ever do that, you know? I want to talk about, oh, you know, you're so great, and you're so wonderful, you're so amazing. And him, and he's just kind of like, well, yeah, but let's talk about what's going on, what's going on inside your heart. And I'm like, oh, you're so great, and you're so amazing. And I think I'm going to turn on some worship music really loud so I don't have to think about and deal with what's happening in here. And finally, I don't know how to say it other than he just kept poking and saying, come on, tell me what's going on in there. Until finally, in one of my prayer times, I just broke, and I said, I am failing. You know what he said? He said, well, who told you you were going to succeed? And then he spoke this that changed my life. He said, David, I didn't call you to be successful. I called you to be faithful. And that changed me. Because what I want to hear when I stand before him is not well done, good, and successful servant. I want to hear well done, good, and faithful servant. You may think that what God is using you in doesn't matter, but it matters to Him. And so get back to the mission that God's called you to. Step into what He's called you to be part of. Move into that thing that He has for you. On May the 10th, 1940, Winston Churchill was elected the Prime Minister of England. Now let me just kind of tell you what was going on in that time. Is that before that time, Germany was literally about to overrun France. France was just about gone. And England, at that time, their, their prime minister was named Neville Chamberlain. And Neville Chamberlain was wanting to bring peace. And he just thought, if I can just get the Germans to get into a peace agreement, we can stop all this mess. Because he was like us. He didn't want to go to war. And so he met with Adolf Hitler and a couple of other people, Mussolini and a couple of other ones that he met with. And then he had a private meeting with Adolf Hitler and he said, I have brought this to you. And it was called the Munich Agreement. He was in Munich, Germany. And it said on there that there will, there will never be attacks between England and Germany and, and it, that we will be at peace with each other. And Adolf Hitler read it and he said, that's great, and signed his name to the Munich Agreement. And boy, he came. In fact, I've got a video clip and you can go on YouTube and see it. When Neville Chamberlain returned back to England, he was a hero. After he left, he didn't know this at the time, but after he left Adolf Hitler's office, 
Adolf Hitler's head of his security was happened to be in that room whenever Adolf Hitler signed the agreement and was mad at him. He said, I can't believe you signed a peace agreement with them. He said, that's just a piece of paper. It doesn't amount to anything. And they were about to take over Germany and Neville Chamberlain's, or England, and Neville Chamberlain stepped to the side and said, told Winston Churchill, you need to take it. Winston Churchill immediately went on the offensive. He went in to fight against them, and Germany started moving backwards. He'd, 18 months into this, he was asked to come and speak at the former school that he had gone to as a young child. And he said he almost got kicked out of the school and almost failed, but, but they asked him to come back to speak to him. And in the middle of his speech, he said this. He began to look back on the previous 18 months whenever everything looked like all hope was gone, and yet he was in that. And this is what he said. He made this famous statement that many of us have heard. He said, never give in. Never give in, never, 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 never in nothing, great or small, large or petty. Never give in except to convictions of honor and good sense. Never yield to force, never yield to the apparently overwhelming might of the enemy. Well, let me tell you, we have an enemy much greater than Germany, much greater than the Nazis. We have an evil enemy that wants to kill, steal, and destroy but never, never, never give in. Stay on mission. Stay after what ha God has you. Now, in the middle of your outline, let me give you this real quick. I've got this thing in the middle, and I want you to write this in because I want to show you something that I've had to learn. And on the left-hand side, I want you to write the current life you are living. So when you think about your current life you're living, that means the life you're currently in. On the right-hand side, I want you to write this. The unlived life you dream of living. I mean, all of us have that. We have on one side, we have the current life we're in. But we all have dreams. And a lot of them may be God dreams. About an unlived life we dream of living. There is be between that a gap. And I want you to write in that middle part, write the word resistance. resistance because I can tell you every day we awaken to resistance all of us want to step into a life that God has for us that is amazing he wants to overwhelm us with his life and it's a, a blessed life he wants us to live in but we also wake up to our current life and we're just kind of like I don't know I don't know if I can do it and that's that resistance that we have to say no to and get to the mission every day day it's the battle we all have to step into and we all need to learn how to walk in what god has for us well, let me give you the last thing and we'll be we'll be done in this passage we need to refuse to be discouraged we need to reject paths that seem easier compromising we need to return to our mission but then last you need to rejoice in your certain reward you need to rejoice in the fact that god is going to reward us he rewards faithfulness. He really does. I know that some people I've heard say, oh, well, that's not very Christian. They're not reading the same Bible I am. Because my Bible tells me that we are storing up treasures in heaven. My Bible tells me that how I live my life here matters there. God wants to bless us. 
Let me say it this way, okay? I, I know this about children. And you all know this. If you have kids, how many of you have ever had a time that you've told your child, if you will just inherit whatever it is, make up your bed, or like we had to do sometimes, stop talking for like five minutes. We will and have a reward. You know, we're going to give them. Because children, they really are motivated by a secondary reward. Well, who, who are we? We are God's children. I tell our people that at best we're all preschoolers. Anybody that thinks they have God figured out doesn't know God. We're at best a bunch of preschoolers. We don't know what we're doing. You know, we're just a bunch of spoiled people and we're just trying to figure this out. We trip over ourselves. But we're his kids. And he knows that we need those rewards out there so that we'll follow what he has for us. And he wants to abundantly give them to us. Here's what he says. The passage says this, And, and let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. What does that phrase, due season, means? It means this. It means the right moment, the divine occasion, that he, is, he's, he set aside a moment. He knows that we're in struggling and we're in difficulty, but he also knows there's coming a day. It may be a day that, that happens in your life where he just pours out a blessing, but it may not be till we stand before him one day when this life is over. Either way, Due season is coming. For He is going to give us that, that blessing that He has for those lives that are lived by faith. Acts chapter 13, verse 36 says this. For David, after he'd served the purpose of God in his own generation, he fell asleep. He died. Do you hear what it said? After he had served the purpose of God in his own generation. Do you know what? You are not born in this generation by accident. You're not born in this area by accident. You and I have been born at a time and in places of God's divine design because the Bible says we, that He knew us before the foundation of the world and we've been fearfully and wonderfully made, that we belong to Him, that, we are, that He is the one, the, the divine guide of everything. And He saved you and has positioned you to fulfill a divine assignment that is way bigger than you. You may not think that, but it is. He's doing more through your life than you can imagine. And just know that you're going to reap abundant rewards. I'll say this and I'm going to close. I have three sons and just I don't know why other than God. He's given us young men that are all strong leaders. And whenever they were little, you know the story in the Bible about the talents? That some, um, one person was given five talents, one was given two, one was given one. And then there came a time where they had to stand before the one who gave it to them. And the one who had been given five brought back five more. He had ten. And, again, and, the, and the Lord says, well done, good and faithful servant. And the one who had been given two, he doubled them, and he had four. And he said, well done, same thing. But the one who had been given one, he buried it. And he said, you wicked servant. You could have at least brought in, you know, you could have taken it and brought interest off of it. 
And I told all three of my boys, because I just saw it in them, I said, son, you're a five-talent boy. I said, your greatest danger is to settle for good when God's called you to something great. My middle son, Brian, is a financial advisor. And, um, and so he, the company he works for, um, he's been in with them now, I guess, almost 10 years. But when he started with them, he, every year he was one of the top in their company in what he did every year with his group. And so what they did is they began to say, they want to find out what motivates you. Why do you push like you do? Because if it's money, they know that's short-lived. If you're just seeking money, that's going to burn out quick. So what's motivating you? And so we were at his home and uh, that, on a particular Christmas this was several years ago. And we were sitting there. He and I were drinking a cup of coffee that morning. And he said, Dad, they asked me that, and I figured out what motivates me. And I said, what's that? He said, you remember whenever you told me the story about the five-talent guy? And I said, yeah. And how, and here's the way I told the story. And I told all three of my boys the same story. I said, I, went, I don't know how this is going to work, okay? So I'm just, but I said, pretend like those five talents are like balls and you've got them in a bag. And so you're going to, we're in this line, we're going to be standing before God at that one day and, and the person in front of you has four balls in his bag and you're looking at yours, you've got six and you're going, at least I beat the one in front of me, you know? And so you see, he goes up there, the one in front of you gets before God and he's up there and God says, oh, you're amazing and starts and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. And you're standing behind him, and you're going, dude, if he got a well done, I'm about to have a hallelujah chorus played, you know what I mean? And you get up there, and as you stand before him, you see his face drop. Because the one in front of you was only given two talents. And he doubled his, and you were given five, and you only added one. And I told him, I said, don't ever settle. Fulfill what God has for you. And he said, Dad, that's what drives me. And so I would just say to you, I don't know if you're a one-talent, two-talent, five-talent. It doesn't matter to me. And it doesn't matter to God either. Just know, whatever God has given you, He wants to reap and produce through you an abundant harvest through your life. So don't give up. I know, listen, I live in the South. And let me tell you, it's good and bad, all right? I didn't grow up there, so it's been a kind of a shock to me that everybody goes to church. Not really, but they'll all tell you they do. Here, I find, nobody does. And not only that, they'll gladly tell you they don't. So I know some of you have families that have rejected you because you have given your life to Christ. Some of you are at work and you're not getting the promotion because they know you're a Christian. And I know that's hard. But know this. God is using you more than you know. He is using you and He is so pleased with how you are allowing Him to love people through you. So don't give up. Let me pray for you. Father, I just... I am so honored to be here. I, I just can't say any more than that. And Father, I, I pray for, for these amazing people. And Lord, I don't know which ones of them were struggling that you brought me all the way from Mississippi to 
to encourage them not to give up. I don't know why you wouldn't let this one, let me get away from that word. Lord, I pray that, that they would know that you see and that you're not mad at them, that you want to encourage them to get back at the mission and that you are about to release rewards through their life that are so amazing. Hey, let me say this to you. If you need to just have talk with Jonathan or somebody and just say, hey man, could you pray for me? I know that these guys will. Or maybe you're here and you just are a visitor and you came in and you're trying to figure this, this whole Jesus stuff out. I can tell you this, this is an amazing church and there's some amazing people here who would love to just talk to you. Nobody's going to pressure you and nobody's going to condemn you. But they sure would love to just love on you and maybe share with you about how what Jesus has done in their life. But I also know that there's some of God's children here. And you know, as I've been speaking, that God's been talking to you. Again, he's not mad at you. Just know that the enemy, and this is what I've had to learn, that the enemy's trying to stop you because he fears the Jesus in you. So don't give up. So Father, I just pray your blessings over your people. In Jesus' name.